Rinkwide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at bodog.net. Wadden and JPAT here with you once again with another version of the off-season pod here. And uh, just looking around the NHL, JPAT, of course, there's there's still action going on around the league. And of course, we'll get to some of that in just a bit here. But starting to see some of the reporting that's coming out because some of the offseason stuff starting to heat up. There's a report out of Chicago uh, that concerns the Canucks 11th overall pick. We'll get to that in just a moment. But want to dive into this daily face-off article that we saw that basically talked about, and it's from our buddy Frank Saravalli, the projections for the top 50 free agents. Now, if you're a Canucks fan, like, can you even say the word free agent without laughing right now? Right. Because of the amount. I, I of, couldn't. Yeah. There, that's the task right there. I couldn't. Yeah. Um, Lack of cap space that they have. And just sort of taking, we know like the biggest hole for them, maybe you disagree, but I think the biggest hole for them is, is that three C and looking at some of the projections of some of the guys that perhaps they could be sniffing around. They're not going to be going for any guys in the top end. So we sort of start looking maybe at the bottom end of things and, you know, I know that you and I have batted around the name Alex Kerfoot before. Of course, he's a local boy, can be versatile for them because he plays the wing and can play down the middle. He's a penalty killer as well. But he's 28th on this list, and I'm just using him as an example right now. And they project a four-year contract at $3.5 million for a 28-year-old. So you'd think, yeah, it seems about right. But the Canucks have minus cap space right now, J-Pat. So 3.5 million may as well seem like a billion right now for the Canucks and the lack of space they have. And just really, how are they going to maneuver this? And it's probably going to come back to that 11th overall pick. That might be a sweetener to be able to get off of some of this money. Yeah, I thought the article was really instructive and I would go recommend people check it out because uh, this is using models that uh, have had success in the past of looking at players, their production, their age, and what they can realistically command on the open market. Now, some of these guys won't get to the open market. They'll sign with their own team. So, you know, we're a month out from the draft. This is kind of where we are in the news cycle. But I thought it was really instructive because, like, it's easy for people to scream, you know, Gavrikov or uh, Barbashev or, you know, pick names that have sort of been linked to the Vancouver Canucks for whatever reason, whether it's uh, the agency, whether it's, uh, you know, people in their wishful thinking. Well, then you go and look when these models are applied to players like that. And you're right. Like the Canucks right now have to shed salary. I think everybody understands that. Like that has to be the baseline for this conversation that the Canucks have to be cap compliant to start next season. So before they can go out and spend money, they've got to find a way to get money off the books. And that brings us back to the age-old Besser Garland, you know, the same conversations that we've had for an awful lot. But as time is ticking closer now, the end of May, you know, basically a month out from free agency, like it starts to get real here that, you know, okay, priority one is getting cap compliant because the league says you have to be cap compliant. But also it's trying to improve this hockey club that running it back with the guys you had isn't good enough. And so how do you go about making your hockey club better? So there is going to be activity. And we did a recent pod that uh, I thought was, you know, kind of ran people through the various scenarios, whether it was, you know, retaining money, whether it was attaching sweeteners, whether uh, it was an actual hockey trade and trying to reallocate cap space and those types of things. So we've done that. But now I think this is where reality really hits home that if, 
the Vancouver Canucks think that they're going to find a way to improve this hockey club, that they've priced themselves out for the reasons that you just mentioned. Like, forget the top 25 on the list. Like, if you're a Canuck fan and you're trying to be realistic, like, just fast forward. You can go back to the top 25 later. But the Canucks, they just can't. They, they, they're shopping in the bargain bin. There is no way that they're going to uh, have this cap flexibility unless they are able to accomplish the first goal, and that is freeing up. And maybe they surprise us. I just, I guess I'm jaded, and after all these years and different management groups, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt until I see it for myself. Maybe they'll surprise us and find a way to free up some of this cap space. But, I mean, what was our sort of motto from that past pod? It was like all the roads lead to pain, Right, they're just different routes, but they all sort of arrive at the same end point, and that is there is going to be pain uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Kerfoot could he play for the Canucks? Sure, but you know, he's not going to take this crazy hometown discount just to come and be the third line center for the Vancouver Canucks. Like this is business. He's at a point in his career where he may not have many contracts left, and that's the problem with free agency. Is the Canucks have learned time and time and time again is that really it's a season for overpayment, and this club just cannot afford to go back to that well yet again. So, you know, when they shop in the bargain basement, they did pretty well last year with a guy like Dakota Joshua. You know, this is where pro scouting comes into place. This is where your analytics crew trying to unearth some guys that have slipped through the cracks somehow, some way. But when you look at the Daily Faceoff article that applies a price tag to each of these guys, uh, there is some serious sticker shock there if you think that the Vancouver Canucks somehow are going to be able to get in on the bidding. Do you think that the Canucks could go through this draft, potentially lose that first-round pick as a sweetener to get off some money, and not pick up a, for another first? Like, do you think they can get through this draft by just basically giving out that first-round pick, getting off of it? Because as you look at it right now, like they, like like you said, like that money is as good as you know, getting somebody in the first round really right now, you know, uh, obviously you can't develop money, but you can do something with it to be able to improve your lineup. I, I just look at a scenario right now where it looks like the only way they're going to be able to do this is if they actually forfeit that first round pick. Like I heard you on Donnie and Dolly saying, perhaps maybe trade back, stay in that first round. But again, like teams have them over a barrel, like nobody's going to help them out here. Right. right. But that 11th overall that is probably their biggest trade chip right now. Like, I don't think Jonathan LeCaramacchi, to me, doesn't feel like a guy that other teams, they had a chance last year, and, you know, he went 15th overall for a reason. He didn't have a great season, a draft plus one year. That 11th overall, I think, holds cachet. I mean, it it it's hope. It's, you know, it, right now it's just a draft pick, and we don't know what's behind door number 11. Ultimately, we don't know how the, the picks are going to go ahead of the Canucks in that spot, but... Just let's for the sake of the argument, then, you know, this was a report from Scott Powers in Chicago who was kind of spitballing and looking for ways that the Blackhawks could speed up their rebuild. They know they're getting Connor Bedard. Imagine if the Blackhawks walk away from this draft with Connor Bedard and the 11th overall pick. Like, that's an incredible haul in a deep, deep draft. So the, the Blackhawks are, I think, a really fascinating example. They've got a ton of cap space. They are motivated to get better here. Like for them, imagine if they could walk away from the draft with Connor Bedard, the 11th overall pick. And in order to get that 11th overall pick, they're probably going to have to take Brock Besser. 
if you're if you're the Canucks, you're trying to make that deal. If you're the Blackhawks, you're thinking, well, we got the cap space. Besser's not a perfect player at all, but he's a legitimate NHLer. Yeah. Um, you know, could he play on the right wing with Connor Bedard? Like, I think Brock Besser would probably be open to to that opportunity. So how motivated is Chicago? And then Chicago's got all this draft capital as well. I I don't like the idea of the Canucks leaving the first round. They've done that too often here in recent years. So how motivated is Chicago? And is there a world in which you could flip with Chicago and try and capitalize on their motivation to get up higher in the draft, but maybe they're willing to part with one of their first rounders so that if you're the Canucks, at least you're not leaving the first round empty handed because we know the pipeline doesn't have enough. Like, but this is where all roads lead back to pain. If you're trading that 11th overall pick, then you are doing it at the expense of, you know, your future and the fact that you don't have a ton of blue chippers in the system right here, right now. So it doesn't have to be Chicago, but Chicago is so fascinating to me, knowing that they're going to ramp up the rebuild with Bedard. And then it's a question of, you know, what else can you do? You can't just amass all the draft picks in the world. At some point, you've got to turn those and and use them as assets yourself to get players that can help your hockey club. So, um, you know, would you? I guess the question is, if you're the Canucks, is would you choose that route? Um, you know, is getting off two years of Brock Besser enough of a reason to move that 11th overall pick? Because I don't think there's a world in which you're attaching OEL, the, the all of OEL's contract. No. And I don't think Chicago, like Chicago doesn't want OEL's contract. No. OEL's got the no movement clause. I just, like, I don't think that the 11th overall is enough to get out from under Oliver Ekman Larson's contract. If it was, I'd do that in a heartbeat. If the Blackhawks did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Done. Done. Yeah. What else you want? You want a third as well? <laughs> well, no, I seriously, like just that, you got to get out from underneath that. That was just the band-aid. You'd, cre- you know, you'd create 8 million in cap space that then you could go and use. And like, yeah, if there was a team out there that said, hey, for the 11th overall pick, we will take all of Reckman Larson's deal and you are do done. Yep. I like, you I run can't to the fax that... machine. <laughs> right. But I think it's important to remember that OEL's got the no movement clause. And yes. so <laughs> even if you found a team that was out there, uh, he could say, hold up, I'm just not. Yeah, not playing along there. So, so then it's a, you know from the Canucks' perspective, it's what makes enough sense to move off that eleventh pick because again, it's a deep draft. You know, there's always going to be one or two guys that fall, uh, especially where the Canucks are. There, there'll be a team that goes off the board, but it's a draft that is so top heavy with forwards that I still wonder if you couldn't trade back in the draft and still get one of the top two or three defensemen. But you'd also gain something for moving and budging from that 11th overall pick. So I don't know. I, I, I tweeted out this morning, like I'm just having one of these days where I, I kind of have resigned myself to the fact that as much as I don't want that 11th overall pick to be in play for the Canucks, when I look at the various ways that they can create cap space, I think the draft is fertile ground. You've got other trading partners that are getting a little giddy and they want in on the action. Um, and I also worry for the hockey club that if it goes through the draft and it goes through the first couple of days of free agency and you haven't significantly created any cap space whatsoever, like at that point, you are hooped. Like who's going to help you at that point? The deeper it gets into the summer and everybody knows that you are up against it and you have no choice but to make moves, what are the costs going to be at that point? So, you know, it's funny. We're a month out from the draft, but that month is going to go by quickly while the 
playoffs are still going on. I'm not expecting a lot of trade activity, but damn, like once the Stanley Cup is awarded, like I think it is go time. So we're a couple of weeks out from that for the Vancouver Canucks where, you know, sort of all quiet on the surface, but they better be doing some heavy lifting behind the scenes and making those phone calls because, uh, again, the bottom line is they have to, I mean, they, they just have to address their cap concerns. They, they have no other choice. Well, it was re- really like shines a light on the previous administration and just how much they mess this entire organization up, whether it's the cap or just the draft capital that they don't have, right? Or prospects that they just don't have. Like in a perfect world right now, you'd be filling that 3C with somebody that's ready to come up. And they can sit there and try and tell us that they you know, they like this guy, they like that guy. We watch them all season long. Like, and we talk to people down in Abbotsford as well. Like, there's nobody really ready to make that, like, defining next step to be an NHL player. And and they need somebody that can produce on that third line, right? Like, you can't just have a, what they have, you can't have Nils Amon. Right. Like, right? We've talked about that. We Like, Nils Amon so, is not going to get better offensively. He is who he is. And there's no time machine. We can't go back. What's done is done. But on a podcast like this, hey, at least we can discuss it. And you hope that, I want to believe that this organization is going to learn from some of its mistakes, even with a new management regime in place, because one of my great regrets for the Vancouver Canucks is that when they were bad, and they weren't trying to be bad, but they were bad, they didn't act like a bad team. And we have seen other bad teams in the Blackhawks again. Uh, Maybe this is the pod where it's all about the Blackhawks. But, you know... Again, the Canucks were spending the cap thinking that they were like a, a contender or hoping they were acting like a contender, but the results on the ice weren't. And so they never once weaponized cap space. They didn't take on bad contracts. They didn't trade for futures when they should have. And everybody knows that. And they're up against it. And so one of the learnings has to be when you're not good, don't spend to the cap because eventually it is going to catch up to you. And they tried with the Arizona deal to move things around and give it one last push. And that didn't work, but they kept, you know, they stayed at a level where, you know, they were spending to the max. So it's like spending to the max on your credit card. Like eventually the credit card companies call it and, or the bank. And that's kind of where the Canucks are right now. Like the bank is on line one and all of this is coming due for them. So I do think the lesson here is, Okay, when you know that you've got a good team, and maybe that's part of the lesson too, is recognizing when exactly you do have a good team, you know, then you can hit turbo boost on your spending and spend to the limit. But it's so clear to me now that really this last decade has proven nothing good can come of spending to the limit. And people may say, oh, in a market like Vancouver, the expectation is no, in a market like Vancouver, the expectation is to spend wisely, to be smarter, to do better. And we've come through a decade where none of that's happened for the Vancouver Canucks. So like who's learning from their lessons here? It certainly doesn't seem like anybody. And the one constant is the guy that foots the bill at the end of the day, um, spending to the cap when you're not a very good team, just it's not sound business. And yet this is where the Canucks are. And now they're at a point where they have to untangle and ensure the management group that's in place inherited a, a raw deal. But again, they were in no place to go and sign Ilya Mikheyev he was a luxury item that they just could not afford last summer. Uh, they didn't need him. And really, Philip Ronick, too. I like, why not kick tires on Ronick and say to Stevie Eiserman, hey, we're interested. Let's revisit this at the draft. Um, yeah, but where does, uh, sorry to cut you off, but where does 
Pedersen and Hughes then fit into all of that because everything you're saying makes sense. But if you're Pedersen and Hughes, like you're sitting there going, like, come on, guys, like totally. we're, we're here, we're ready, like this is like right. So like I wonder, and I know that there hasn't been anything out there, so this is just pure speculation on my part. But I wonder if there is some pause in Elias Patterson when it comes to this extension. Yeah, and I think you're fair, and I wonder that. And we've said, like, what's the rush from him? Like, it would take a really, really sound presentation, I would think, from the Canucks. And if I was Patterson, I'd probably want ownership in on that meeting. Like, I want to hear from everybody. What is the vision here? Uh, I, you know, how are we getting from here to there? Because I'm putting up 102 points. I feel like I'm doing my part. And yet we're spinning our wheels and nowhere close to the playoffs. Like, so yeah, I, I don't think like to me, I'm not expecting on July 1st that, oh, an offer and a deal is just going to materialize. Like, I think that this is, and it's I too much that, work to be done by management to they'll well, get there, and, but they got a lot of stuff to right. do before. And that, I, right? you know, the, he, he's not eligible to sign an extension until July 1st, but I mean, the heavy lifting can start now. I mean, they can certainly be trading proposals and ideas and all that kind of stuff and setting out a framework, but if I'm Elias Pettersson and, and he just feels like a pretty shrewd operator, uh, it, it, I would totally understand if he wanted to back off for a little bit here. I'm not saying that he's not going to resign with the Canucks, but yeah. like, And this comes back to this question of how do they improve? Because you can bank on some improvement from within, but ultimately we know that the defense score, as it is right now, not good enough. The bottom six, not good enough. Yeah. They've got nice pieces sure they do they've got yeah. some nice pieces no question but at the end of the day the nice pieces this year even having incredible individual seasons uh it didn't amount to much and so uh we know that they're not going to change coaches again uh you know they've got their guy and so they don't have that card to play you're not hoping for a coaching bump for a third year in a row and then that's not a sound philosophy anyhow. No. I mean, if you have to fire a coach and cost a guy's livelihood, I mean, that's not sound business principles. Um, but let's hope that that part of the turmoil is behind the Canucks moving forward here. But yeah, I mean, the more I look at their salary structure and, you know, a couple of weeks ago it was Puckpedia today. It's cap friendly that has rolled over now to the 23, 24 season. And the numbers are what the numbers are. And the Canucks are the only team that are above that, slot right now they have overcommitted for next year and that's with 18 roster spots like so you still got to go out and sign and like ethan bear needs a contract if they're going to commit to ethan bear and people can say well wait a sec like you know tanner pearson and tucker pullman like those will go on ltir guess what whatever ethan bear is going to get on his next contract wipes out tucker pullman i mean essentially tucker pullman's a two and a half like bear is going to be in that neighborhood like that's a wash right there so you're not realizing a ton of cap savings all that would do is allow you to get ethan bear on the roster but he was just here and they weren't good enough with him so all this work to be cap compliant and it feels like improving the hockey club is taking this massive back seat and and so that to your point andrew is if you're Patterson and hughes you're like what the hell are we doing here like if we're not getting any better, then it's just going to be another year. Like my 25 year old year, if I'm Elias Pedersen, you're just going to flush my, you know, if I put up another hundred points, like you're prepared just to kind of flush that because you're hamstrung and you haven't for all these years been able to get to a point where you've got any flexibility. So I, I hate the fact that we have to keep going down this road, but 
the reality is what the reality is, unless Patrick Elvine and that management group are magicians and are going to pull off one of the great Houdini acts that we have seen uh, watching hockey in the salary cap era. But I, you know, again, I, I kind of feel like I've, you know, looked behind uh, all the doors and into the corners and whatever. I, 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 just, I don't see an avenue where, you know, they can pull off this magic act that is going to give them cap space that's then going to allow them to go out and improve this hockey club significantly. Yeah, hard to spend money when you're already in your overdraft. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. All right, I want to go down memory lane just a little bit with you, J-Pap, because the Memorial Cup starts tomorrow in Kamloops. And, of course, you being the ex-voice of the Kamloops Blazers long time ago, uh, many, I guess, play-by-play guys in between. But, of course, the, the team had so much success when you were there as well. And just you know, talk about Kamloops in terms of you know how big it is for the city to host a Memorial Cup. I know you, I know you know what it's like to, to win in that city. But just, you know, what does that bring to the city of Kamloops? And, and the thing is, too, that what I like about this year is from Memorial Cups in the past, like Kamloops is a good team. Right. We've seen host teams that aren't very good and they just get in because they're the host team. But like Kamloops has a shot this year and they got some good players as well. But just the sheer impact of having that tournament for a city like Kamloops. Yeah. Well, look, 1995 feels like a lifetime ago and it was in many ways 28 years. That was uh, the third of the four Memorial Cups that they won. And if you think about junior hockey, it's so cyclical and teams, they map out years in advance when. Their 18 and 19 year olds are going to be at that point of their competitive cycle. And, you know, that's when they target to be competitive for a year, one year. <laughs> and most of them fall short. And the Blazers won three Memorial Cups in four years, which is just, it's never going to be done again. Uh, and the fact that three guys, Darcy Tucker and Tyson Nash and Ryan Huska, were on all three of those teams, like just what, like just absolutely stunning, legendary junior hockey careers. And uh, I was fortunate enough that uh, I moved to Kamloops for work right out of broadcast school in the summer of 1993 and didn't do play-by-play that first year. I just had a news job. I was a junior Joe reporter going to school board and you know city council and traffic accidents and whatever. But uh, whenever I had an opportunity to do some sports, I jumped at it and then I kind of got involved in pre and post game and those types of things. And they won the Memorial Cup in Laval in 1994, a year ahead of schedule. They had won it in 92, and then where they were in their cycle, they wanted to host in 1995 and all sort of all in for that. 
and 94 got in the way and they were just <laughs> an incredible team and they went to Laval and they won the Memorial Cup then and by then they had already been awarded the right to host it in 95 and so uh, here they were you know a chance to keep the cup was the slogan bumper stickers and posters and everything and it was pretty simple but i mean it said everything about that year keep the cup that's what it was all about trying to defend and win for a third time in four years and at home and so yeah i mean Campbell's a great junior hockey uh market and has been for a long time and you think of all the players that have come through there from mark recce and scott niedermeyer and daryl sador and then to sort of the era that i was involved with tucker and again lindone and um yeah, I mean, by that point, like you can imagine what a big deal hosting the Memorial Cup was because yeah, that yeah. city was all in. I mean, there wasn't a junior hockey market in Canada that was all in the way Kamloops was because they were winning them all the time. And now they had a chance to sort of put their best foot forward. And, you know, they had a brand new rink. It was three years old then, Riverside Coliseum, 5,500 seats. It's still there. It's uh, Sandman Center. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, an, it was, it was an amazing week. Um, you know, they beat Brandon in the Western Hockey League final. So Brandon knew it got a berth because at that point, Kamloops had the automatic bid as the host and the Western Hockey League finalists also got in. So Brandon got in and Brandon was a really good team that year. And then the Detroit Junior Red Wings and the Hull Olympiques. Those were the four teams. And um, yeah, Kamloops ran the table. Uh, you know, I'd forgotten a little bit about uh, the championship final. It was on the Sunday of the long weekend in May, just a gorgeous sunny day. Uh, mid-afternoon, and Kamloops absolutely stomped the Detroit Junior Red Wings. 8-2 to two was the final. 50 <laughs> shots on goal in the championship final of the Memorial Cup. <laughs> Five power play goals. Like Detroit started running around and taking liberties, and Kamloops just had this smoke show of a power play. That, wow. You know, fine, you want to play that way? Boom, back of the net. So, uh, yeah, I mean, incredible memories that are sort of flooding all back to me now because Kamloops is getting this opportunity to play host again, and... Seattle goes in as the favorites. Seattle Thunderbirds won the Western Hockey League Championship. They defeated Winnipeg. That Winnipeg team was stacked, and so is Seattle. Uh, Peterborough Peets, you know, one of the great legendary junior hockey franchises as well, and the Quebec Remparts with Patrick Waugh behind the bench. So, uh, you know, interesting storylines. I, I think I, I look at Seattle as the prohibitive favorites, but it's a short-form tournament, and Kamloops just beat Seattle twice in the Western Division final. It went six games. Seattle prevailed. Better team. But in a short-form tournament where Kamloops is the home team, it's possible that, like, Seattle could lose, or Kamloops could lose to Seattle in the round robin, still meet them in the championship. Yeah. Like, they may only have to beat them once. One game, winner take all, in front of your home fans. Uh, and that Kamloops team, as you said, like, this isn't a throwaway. This, it's a really good team as well. Um and so, yeah, it's setting up to be uh, an incredible, uh, basically, 10 days of hockey in Kamloops. And um, you know, I still haven't ruled out uh, getting up there for it, but uh, certainly not going to be there for the, the start of the tournament. But, uh, yeah, it gets going this weekend and uh, looking forward to it. I will be an interested uh, observer, to say the very least. If you're a betting man, because you know I am, Patrick Waugh, will he be an NHL head coach next year? Certainly sounding like uh, he's getting some shine, and we know that there are a bunch of openings. So uh, I don't know if uh, the fact that his team has still been alive through the QMJHL playoffs, if that's hampered his ability to get out an interview. Like when the Memorial Cup's over, you know, will he make a last-ditch effort? You know, I mean, we all know Patrick Waugh. He does things his own way. He's a bit of a different character, but uh, it sounds like he wants another chance in the National Hockey League and... Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he gets it. But, I mean, the danger for any head coach uh, or 
head coaching candidate is, you know, as one position gets filled, that's one that's off the board. And then other guys that maybe were in the running there, uh, they're looking at uh, the ones that are available. So uh, as we sit here, I think, are we still at five? Uh, Columbus, the Rangers, Calgary, Anaheim, and Washington. Toronto, we don't know about. And I don't, Very likely, though. And I don't think that there are going to be any others, although, um, you know, I saw somebody saying, like, Nashville, if Barry Trotz takes over, or he, he, Barry Trotz is taking over, you know, is he going to want to kind of put his stamp on things? But I, I haven't heard any more than that on the Nashville front. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are some openings, and I think Patrick Waugh certainly would have a uh, high profile and comes with some pedigree. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, is it going to happen for next year? I don't know that, but I do anticipate that we will see Patrick Waugh behind, uh, an NHL bench again in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. And looking for another Memorial Cup ring, of course, uh, cause he won one back in 2005, 2006 with the Ramparts. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, Canada's home for casino games and sports odds, where everyone goes to play. Let's get into a little playoff talk. Jay Pat, presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Yeah, playoffs are a, a battle, and sometimes getting a new mortgage can be a battle as well if uh, you're button heads with the bank. Uh, look, the bank has all of its ducks in a row. Uh, it's in it for itself. You need some help. You need backup. Uh, winning the championships about a team game, or at least in a team sport, uh, it can't just be one person going at it alone. And so you want the support of a guy like Jason Hominick, who's been in the business for 30 years. So if we're talking to you, if you're in the market uh, for a home, if you're up for a renewal, do yourself a favor. It's not you against the bank, because uh, I don't like the odds in that one. Make <laughs> yeah. sure that you have Jason Hominick on your side. You've got questions. He's got answers. It starts with a phone call. Uh, all the contact information at his easy-to-remember website, jason.mortgage. I don't like the odds in the Western Conference Final or the Eastern Conference Final right now, but last night, boy, did I get my Bodog best bet wrong. I thought the Stars were going to be able to get themselves back into the series. Took them on the money line. Way off on that one. The Golden Knights... Put the hammer down on the stars. And speaking of putting the hammer down, Jamie Ben put the hammer down on Mark Stone, a cross check that let me get the wording here from uh Mr. Mark Stone, who said, I would have liked to not fallen on him and use my stick as a landing point. I'm sorry, not buying that whatsoever. Especially when you see Mark Stone looking it up and up going, No, don't cross check me in the face, which is what happened. And Jamie Ben. Uh, looking like he's going to get some discipline as we record this right now. Haven't seen anything just yet. I don't know if anything's dropped uh, as we record this, but uh, Jamie Ben with the cross check and really that sort of set the tone to the game and kind of buried the stars. The captain did not help his team out. Uh, Vegas ends up scoring on the power play there. They go on to win it for nothing. They lead the series three buzz. Yeah. I mean, the Jamie Ben thing is all the talk in hockey, but really that start given the circumstances 
was shocking. I, yeah. There's no other way to describe it. Like, I, I, I just, I couldn't believe, like, I was having trouble comprehending that it was one nothing, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. seven minutes into the game. Ben's taking a major penalty. It was selfish. It was stupid. Uh, every reason to believe that uh, the league will uh, come down pretty hard uh, after what we've seen in these playoffs with Kale McCarr and Petr Angelo. You know, the Stars aren't getting a free ride here. And when I say the Stars, I mean the star power players. Yeah. Yeah. And the Dallas Stars aren't going to get a free ride either. Um, the Kraken ruined poor Jake Ottinger. Like, what happened there? He was so good against Minnesota. And I know that they got past Seattle, but uh, Kraken got to him. And so have the Golden Knights. And was it the third goal, the backhand off the wing was uh, was a uh, oof, like carry, i would have yeah, yeah. would have had the hook out as well yeah. uh, i know pete DeBoer said he's coming back with them look they've he's been their horse uh, you're going down with your best player so of course he's getting the start in game 4 but is he getting the finish um and the more i watch vegas the more that they're just in lockstep right now like they are so dialed in um, and look i i get all the talk about florida and oh, an example of just get in and anything can happen the other side of the conversation is Vegas. You can build a really good team and just plow your way through a bunch of other really good teams as well. That's the conventional way of doing it. And, um, you know, Aiden Hill, again, I mean, guys pitching a shutout at this stage of the playoffs and nothing against Aiden Hill. Like I'm all in on Aiden Hill, Comox guy, DC Aiden guy. Hill, though. Yeah. No, but, uh, <laughs> but you build the kind of team Vegas has in front of your goaltending. It wouldn't matter if it's Aiden Hill or yeah. Yeah. pretty much anybody. Aiden Hill is living up to his end of the bargain, but they have created such a team. And I know Dallas outshot them, uh, but score effects were at play. Like once it got to four nothing, Vegas didn't need any more goals, so they could kind of sit back and take it easy. Um, yeah, I, I expected more. I expected a whole lot more uh, from Jamie Benn. I expected a whole lot more from the Dallas Stars, and now it looks like they're going to go kind of meekly here into the night. So uh, we may have our Stanley Cup final matchup. Uh, a lot sooner than uh, anybody would have anticipated when this series or this round began. I know people are talking about Jack Eichel, but I don't. I'm, I don't think people are really giving Jack Eichel all the flowers that he deserves right now. You had him as your favorite from because we all we picked a a Con Smythe guy from every yep. team, and I had Marcia So from Vegas. You had Eichel, and you're probably in the lead there. Eichel leads uh, Vegas with 16 points right now. But one of the things I find intriguing about Jack Eichel is just his whole career where he had to be in the shadow of Connor McDavid. And, and I mean, that's a big shadow when you are maybe the greatest player to ever play the game. But Eichel's really proving himself in these playoffs. And let's keep in mind, this is his first ever playoff yeah. run. Yeah. And he's been very good for them as well. So I love seeing that from Jack Eichel. But how about Mark Stone? Like, not only did Stone take the cross check, but uh, Max Domi as well ended up getting uh, a fine for a slash on Stone too. So Mark Stone out there ruffling some feathers. But you're right about this VGK team. As much as like Jack Eichel and, and Mark Stone are, are stars, like, they have those second level, those second tier guys, whether it's Marcia, so, uh, Stevenson, you know, Barbashev, guys like that, like just guys that you can, that are, are really good players, maybe not star players, but really, really good type players. And then you just have Aiden Hill in net. And as long as, you know, he can see the puck, he can stop the puck and he's doing a, a great job of that. So you got to like what uh, you're seeing from the Vegas Golden Knights right now. And yeah, against the ropes of Dallas Stars, not looking good. Same with the, 
Carolina Hurricanes, although a little bit of a different series, wouldn't you say, in this one, in terms of, you know, you got the overtime games and whatnot, but it's just that you're legitimately getting goalied right now by a guy that is doing something that we, I don't know if we've ever seen uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs in goalie Bob. Is he a Hall of Famer, J. Pat? I was thinking about this with Bobrovsky before this playoff run. Like, I think earlier in the season, just, you know, the fact that he's got the Vesnas and whatnot. So does that put you in the Hall of Fame? And now seeing this run and potentially to a Stanley Cup final, because it's looking good for Florida right now, like, would you would you put goalie Bob in consideration for that? Uh, without a Stanley Cup, I would say no. I think that... Uh... You know, it two is business. No, I understand that, but it's supposed to be like the Hall of Fame is supposed to be for the greats of the game. And I yeah, would say, that, we, yeah, I don't know, man. The like, greats of the game, or like, I understand. I mean, it's a gray area, and everybody's yeah. got their own definitions. But I always say, if you have to ask, that's kind of been my line. If you have to ask if a guy should be in, he probably should. That you know, when a guy should be able to skate through the hall. Now, uh, historically, goaltenders have been, yeah, woefully uh, underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. and Roberto Luongo is going in and he didn't get a Stanley Cup. Um, although he might <laughs> here in the next couple of weeks, he might, uh, <laughs> true, but, yeah. but he's already in the hall of fame on his playing career. Um, yeah. I mean, you ask, I'm saying no, he wouldn't make the grade, but a Stanley Cup perhaps changes the conversation uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I think we're going to see goaltenders here uh, before too long that do get in. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury, obviously whenever oh, he's yeah. done, yeah. Uh, he goes in uh, Henrik Lundqvist, probably in the running. Um, J-Pat, I would argue that Sergei Bobrovsky's... I had Henrik. I had a Roberto Luongo. Henrik, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, I'm just pulling him up on hockey reference here. Like, Lou was a two-time All-Star, so was Sergei Bobrovsky. Where's the Vesna? There is none, right? Yep. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, Lou's been to a cup final. No, it's a hockey hall of fame. It's not the NHL hall of fame. Yeah. Roberto certainly had the yeah, international. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and again, like, there's a lot of criteria involved here. Uh, I would just say, based on a body of work to this point, I would put Borowski in the really good category for a couple of seasons, really, really good. But in my world, uh, he'd have to buy a ticket to get into the hockey hall of fame. All right. Well, that's a good debate that uh, I'm sure will continue when it comes to uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, but uh, they will continue their series against the Canes uh, tomorrow. Uh, up three buzz in that one. Uh, what do you think? Sweeps? Both yeah, aside? Or? I, I do. I, I mean, I, like, I don't want to discount Carolina because they've been so close in all three of the games, and they're probably due, and maybe Bobrovsky's due for just an ordinary game as opposed to an all-world game, but even ordinary for him right now, probably tough to score on. Yeah, like I, everybody trots out the statistics about teams that have done it, and it has ha- happened in hockey uh, more than it had happened because it never happened in basketball. Um, but I I don't see comebacks, and I'm not sure that I even see victories. I, I could see sort of the frustration and disappointment setting in and uh, the way that both Florida and Vegas are playing right now. Like, they just no let up in their games. So, yeah, I think uh, Brooms probably are out uh, on both sides. Yeah, tonight, excuse me, not tomorrow night for uh, the Canes. I, 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 this this holiday week has thrown me off completely. I am one day <laughs> no, behind. You said the Memorial Cup starts tomorrow. It doesn't. It starts on Friday. So there you go. Yeah. See, I have that wrong as well. So they, just don't come to me for dates or anything like that. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I by the way, I, I won't be coming to you for a date. Trust oh, yeah. me. <laughs> You'd have to get in line anyway. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, too, I don't think the broom is coming out tonight. I got nope. Canes. All right. I got Canes as my best bet tonight. It's a pick'em on Bodog, the minus one hundred five. So I see the Canes uh, being able to pull one out here and extending 
the series. We won't extend this podcast any further, though, JPAC, because this has been another edition of the Rink Wide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink Wide is the show that always scores.